You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Red Leg Nation Radio, the uh, podcast of RedLegNation.com. Now, I'm your host, Chad Dotson. This is episode 95 of Red Leg Nation Radio, inching up close to the century mark. And joining me tonight is a guy who used to be just like us. He used to be a filthy blogger, living in his mother's basement, writing about nerdy stats over there at redreporter.com. These days, however, he's the statistician for Red's broadcast on Fox Sports Ohio, and he's a writer of actual books. Most recently, 100 Things Red's Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. In other words, he's kind of a big deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, Joel. Welcome. Uh, that, that, that is very nice of you to say, although you know only part of it's true. So. <laughs> well, we know which part of it's true. That, that yeah, I was true. never filthy, dirty blogger. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, to, to show you guys how devoted we are to the Cincinnati Reds, Joel and I are recording this while the series finale of Breaking Bad is airing. And to, and to some people, that's going to be like really impressive, Joel. Yeah, not to, well. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that that I'm not uh, I'm not a fan of Breaking Bad. But you know, I don't have any problem with people that watch it. It's just not a show that's for me. You know. Right. I watch it. It's not my favorite, but uh, it is it is good. But uh, I prefer talking about the Reds. So uh, even the Reds, as currently situated, and wow. Talk about Breaking Bad. Oh, man. <laughs> He'll be here all week. Try the video. Yes. Um, yeah, what a miserable end of the season, huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and believe me, well, I wasn't down at the park on Saturday, but I was down on Friday and that whole Mets series and, and today on Sunday. And, uh, man, there, you know – it, it it was quiet at the park, and and that's not a, a a Ryan Ludwig reference at all. I mean, it was just like there was just. I mean, he was right in saying that there was no energy, but the problem was is that there was just nothing from the team for the fans to grab onto. I mean, you saw it today on Sunday when um, when Corky Miller came to bat and hit the double that scored two runs, and the fans, which fans that were still there that had you know sat through all the rain and the miserable play, were really excited and really. Jazzed up like they wanted something to cheer about there just was never anything there was never any real momentum over that last those last five games i just never felt it really strange and you know the reds uh sold, sold out all three games of the pirate series and it did seem like you, you had a group of fans that were ready to cheer that want this team to uh to give them something to cheer for but uh i'm just not sure how they could have uh been more lifeless here at the end of the season now, you know you mentioned on Twitter something, obviously the Reds ended the season with five straight losses, and I think it was you that mentioned on Twitter about how the Reds could potentially, and this ended up coming to pass, uh, they went into the week with an, uh, a decent chance, not a great chance, but a legitimate chance at winning the National League Central and finished the week seven games out of first place. That's uh, that's bad. Yeah, yeah and, and the weird thing about it is, um, like, there, it, it's stuck. 
stunk to see them lose all those games, but because of the wild card and because you know once it became inevitable that the Reds were playing in the wild card, I think most people were of you know of the mindset that all they have to do is win on Tuesday. And maybe the players were like that. Maybe the players weren't too worried about um, you know trying to get home field advantage. At least not as worried as maybe some of the fans and some of the media were. Uh, you know maybe the players just felt like um, wherever we end up playing, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, our chances aren't going to change that dramatically and we have to win that game and that's all that really matters i don't know i i mean i, I it, it's hard to say what was going through the players heads but um you know i think there was still kind of just this feeling that you know nothing really matters except for tuesday and, and while there's some merit to that line of thinking on the other hand there really was at least on the surface something to play for until today's game that the home field advantage and uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't know that there was. I know the the manager has stated there wasn't uh, much urgency, and it is true that Tuesday is really sort of the be all and end all of this season. And we're going to talk about that a little more in a moment. Um, and, and I'm not entirely sure that uh, home field advantage is that big a deal. But still, there was something to play for, and for a team that we think has a little bit of talent and really should be a, a contender, you just don't expect to see a performance like we saw these last uh, this last week. Right, there was a little bit too much cruising into the into the uh, uh, the finish line. I think, um, you know, ultimately it may not matter. Ultimately, they may, you know, come alive and and uh, you know maybe they have an exciting game on Tuesday that kind of snaps them into it, and then they end up winning or whatever. I mean, stranger things have happened, but um, you know, it's disappointing to see the season end like that, just because uh, you know you don't. Um, I've talked a lot about with with some friends about uh, a quote that Tom Browning told us about the 1990 squad, um, and I'm pretty sure it appears in the Wire to Wire book. But he uh, he told us that Lou Pinelli gave a speech towards the end of the year that said we will not go into the playoffs in a losing posture. And I think that's part of the fear of losing these last five games before the end of the, at the end of the season is that you have, you know, as Lou called it, a losing posture that you're going into the playoffs, um, not with a winning mindset in place. And, you know, that's, that's the risk that you take in doing this. Now, of course, we all know that momentum is your next day starter and all those, you know, truisms. Um, but, it's still, you know, you kind of just wish that they had, at the very least, pulled out one or two victories over the, you know, especially against the the Pirates because they could have, you know, as you said, gotten home field advantage. But um, you, you kind of, so you just have this tenseness about you that there isn't any of this positive energy going into the into Tuesday that you kind of wish you had. Oh, there's very little positive energy surrounding this team. Now, of course, something that I've made the point of saying, uh, and I think I believe this. It, is that if they do end up winning on Tuesday, it, it has a real opportunity. There's a real opportunity there to change the, the whole narrative of this season. All of a sudden, you're in the uh, National League Division Series. At this point, it's going to be the the uh, Cardinals in the Division Series, and so there's a chance to maybe exercise some demons there. And 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 within the span of a week or two here, the entire uh, narrative of this season really could be flipped on uh, on its ear. Don't you think? Yeah, the playoffs are weird, man. I mean, it's you know, no 
it's been since the middle of the season. It's like you know, I I, I just kind of had this feeling like you know, nothing nothing matters, man. Nothing matters. All that happen, all that matters is what happens once you get into the playoffs. And once it became pretty evident that the Reds were going to make the playoffs in some fashion, you know, whether or not you believe the wild card is a playoff, at the very least, they're one of the last five teams in the National League, and they're the only one of five teams in the National League that can still win the World Series. And so they're in this position that gives them the opportunity to actually win the World Series. And nothing before this point has mattered, and nothing, you know, the only thing that matters is what happens after this point. It's a successful season. If they, they can win 90 games during the regular season, which is the minimum they had to win, basically, and then once they did that, they win, you know, what, 12 more games? If they can win 12 more games, they're world champions, and that's all that matters. Well, you know, it really will. It'll, and uh, you'll be writing a book about them here in twenty years. Uh, oh, I don't want to. I don't want. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. This team. I don't know. This team might be an interesting book. Just the. It's been a a, a strange season. Just a totally strange season. But it, yeah. It really has, and I, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. I've got my thoughts on the matter, but why does this team, in your mind, and it, it may be difficult to even put this into words, but why do they seem so frustrating, and why have they all year long? <sighs> Well, you, you know, it starts with last October. Um, Absolutely, yes. You know, and, and, you know, we did that preseason annual, and Mo Egger wrote a great piece talking about uh, and just enjoying the ride, enjoying the journey, and not, you know, not stressing out about the playoffs. But the fact of the matter is, is that you've got that bad taste in your mouth, and there's the only thing that's going to wash it out of your mouth is exercising those demons of the postseason and so it didn't it it don't outside of them totally whiffing and not you know not doing what the giants did this year basically and never even threatening for the for the division title or or making the playoffs outside of something like that happening there there was always going to be this angst of um you know kind of a will they or won't they and or are we just setting ourselves up for this this uh this pain again that we felt last year. And so I think that um, fans were always on edge. And I have to imagine even the players, you know, as, as laid back as the players try to be, there's still that little bit of that, you know, are we good enough kind of edge that um, they're really never going to get over until they actually prove it in the postseason, I think. Yeah, it absolutely started last October when the Reds had that epic uh, collapse. Uh, I'll never uh... – only only game I made it to in the playoffs last year was game four, and I sat there with my son watching, and I just really couldn't believe what I was, was watching if they came home with a two-game lead. And so angst is probably the absolute uh, correct word to use. And that angst was never given an opportunity to dissipate any over the, the course of the year. I think if the Reds had come out and, and done like last year and, and sort of run away with the division a little bit or at least been atop the division most of the year, some of that would have been less, and there would have been a little bit less frustration. But what you got is a team that won 97 last year, dropped to 90 wins this year, First, won the division last year, dropped to third place this year, and all that on the heels of that collapse last October. There's never been a chance for uh, anyone to sort of get comfortable with this team because we all see October coming, and the Reds have uh, failed in their last two postseason opportunities. And it's why I say a lot of a lot of things can change if they'll just win this game on Tuesday, and uh, who knows what could happen in the next division series. But uh, that's going to be their chance. I can see why fans would be frustrated. With, I'm frustrated with this team. Um, right. But, well, and it's that it's the frustration of expectations too, which 
you know, a lot of us were not really used to dealing with, you know, most of us, I mean, especially in the, on the internet, you know, which is where you see a lot of that angst. Um, you know, most of us grew up with the eighties or the nineties and, you know, the nineties were reasonably successful, but you know, when you really go back and look, I mean, it was 1990 and the 94 kind of fell apart because of the, um, the strike and 95 was a good season, uh, but they fell apart in the playoffs and then, you know, really since 95, I mean, they had 99 and then there was not a whole lot in there. And so those of us that kind of, you know, grew to love the Reds during the, during the late 80s and um, all the way up through you know, until 2010, we're not good with expectations, you know. I mean, we're not really sure what to do with that information yet. And, you know, you hear all these stories about the Big Red Machine and how – you know, at this point, you know, if you didn't grow up with the big red machine, well, it just seems like it was so easy for them. But if you go back and look at them, I mean, there were, you know, people calling for Sparky's head, just like people call for Dusty's head, you know, and up through 74. I mean, the 74 team won 98 games and didn't even go to the playoffs. Can you imagine the amount of frustration people would be feeling at that point? Two different World Series. And I mean, Twitter, if Twitter and the internet in general just had been around then, it would have been. And uh, a spectacular bout of frustration and angst and anger and whatever, you know. And I think it's we're in a similar stage right now, and and we need that positive energy release. And you know, whether or not this team this year can provide that, I don't know. But I I think that's just where it all comes from. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. What we're looking at this year, as we start to look at this uh, wild card game on Tuesday, really in a lot of ways. It ends up being like we saw in 1999, which before this recent run of success was uh, the last time the Reds sniffed the postseason. You know, a win and they're in. Uh, I guess technically Bud Selig calls this the post or the playoffs. Uh, I, I call it the postseason because it is the after the season. Right. But, right. Uh, you know, if they lose, it's much like it was in '99. Just you feel like you're right there, and then all of a sudden uh, Al Leiter shows up in your nightmares and uh, and season over. So. There's a, there's well, a, on the positive side, we have Johnny Cueto, not Steve Paris, this year. So that <laughs> a little bit of a difference there. Absolutely. A little bit of a yeah. difference. Well, let's talk about this wild card game. And uh, Cueto, a lot of people were surprised when Cueto was named the starter for the wild card game. I was surprised, but uh, I'm I'm happy with it. I'm I'm fine with Johnny Cueto going in that game. Any thoughts about Cueto starting this wild card game? Well, I mean, especially if Matt Latos really is hurting, like they say he is, um, if he's got the bone chips in his elbow, like uh, like Dusty was describing, um, which is something that could theoretically at least resolve the pain could resolve itself sometime before you know Latos is expected to go again if they win. Um, you know, I think the way Johnny's looked, and and I obviously his opponents haven't been uh, high quality, but I think he just looks he looks like he's comfortable pitching out there, which is I think is the most important thing. Um, you know, he's he's mostly hitting his his spots. I mean, you could compare him to somebody like uh, Sean Marshall, who I think Sean Marshall when he's out on the mound he looks a little more erratic. Still, he doesn't look like he's as as crisp as I felt like Cueto has looked in his two two starts. So I'm totally comfortable with Cueto being out there. That being said, it's one game. And uh, you could put Mike Leak out there and he could throw eight, eight shutout innings and the Reds could win seven to nothing. And you could put Johnny Cueto out there and he could, you know, pitch, you know, four run, give up four runs in six innings and uh, the Reds lose four to one or whatever. So uh, it, it just sucks. <laughs> it does. It, so much so- riding on 
uh, so many uh, factors there, just so many variables uh, that this season is going to turn on. And uh, that scares me to death. <laughs> yeah. And, and the way I feel is um, the Pirates have already, like, gotten their excitement out of the way, and they're happy to be hosting a game. We were nice enough to let them host the game. You know what? They're, they'll be happy win or lose, I think. Obviously, they want to win, but they'll be happy even if they lose. We won't be happy if we lose, so why don't they just let us win? It seems so logical. <laughs> why, why can't they just uh, – my, my biggest uh, hope is that maybe the Pirates, uh, after that long playoff drought, they'll respond the same way the Reds responded to their playoff drought uh, in 2010, and maybe Quaid will throw a no-hitter. Oh, that would be super nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the reasons, you know, talking about this, who's going to start that game, and you're right, it, uh, not, it's not that big a deal because uh, you never know in one game, but – one of the reasons why I think the Reds, if they can just get a couple bats hot at the right time, have a real chance in the playoffs, and there are a lot of ifs in this scenario, but um, is, that, is that the top three in the rotation are as good a top three as we've seen in Cincinnati in, well, I'm not sure how long, a, a long right. time, and I'd like to go back and, and look at that, actually. But um, that's that's a big strength this this Reds team has uh, in the playoffs, isn't it? Assuming Latos can be Latos. Right, right. Well, and, you know, obviously um, – uh, I it, I have a hard time like imagining that the Reds have ever had three pitchers. Of, I mean, because you you look back at like 1990, and you know they had they had Rio, but you know Danny Jackson was kind of a one year wonder in Cincinnati. They had uh, Tom Browning, who was more like Mike Leake or or Bronson Arroyo than he would be Homer Bailey or Matt Latos. Um, you know the Reds essentially have you know I'd say two and a half. Jose Rios. I'm not going to say three. Um, I think uh, uh, the three of those guys combined, they're not. I, I felt like Jose Rio in his peak was probably better than all three of those pitchers, but they all have qualities that, that put them close. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing uh, that you could really put any of those three guys out there for this game. And I think we all would feel, um, feel confident, you know, especially if we were facing somebody other than uh, Francisco Liriano, but you know, well, true, true. Yeah. Liriano obviously had a resurgence this year, but now the Reds have had a little bit of success against him this year, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, who knows? You you really can't analyze one game. I thought we might get on here and try to analyze Tuesday's game, <laughs> but you know you can't analyze one game in baseball, can you? No, no, and well, I mean you can, but you, you can for fun essentially, right, right. you know, because um, you know you could say well Jay Bruce blah blah blah, but if you know. Liriano hangs a pitch at the right time and Bruce is ready for it, you know, then he can put one over the the wall. But, you know, he could strike out four times because Liriano is on. These are, there's so many of these little variables that are so hard to predict. And, and it's a shame um, because it would make it more fun for us to talk about this kind of stuff. And I think, you know, there's still stuff out there that you can look at, um, you know, like, one thing that interests me is okay. How do you comprise a bullpen? How do you how do you comprise, set yourself up for for decision points essentially? Because w- when you're talking about one game, well, those are the things that are important. So you know, we kind of talked about um, you know the starting lineup or the the starting who you would start that game. Well, that's kind of a decision point. And luckily enough, you know, we kind of got three easy decisions. Well, you know, who do you put in the bullpen for one game? I mean, who would you put in the bullpen for one game? Goodness, you're asking me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to turn the tables on you here. Well, I mean, I know, I know what I would do. I mean, I, I you look at the Pirates, um, and and actually, the, 
one area where the Pirates and the Cardinals are very different is the Pirates actually struggle a little more against right-handed pitching, and the and the the Cardinals struggle actually pretty bad against left-handed pitching. So I I mean obviously it's only one game. If this had been a longer series, you'd probably worry about it a little bit more. But I'd make sure you know Lecure is ready. I'd make sure Hoover's ready. Um, you know, then you then you have Marshall and you have Para in there for you know if you need to uh, get uh, you know one of the lefties out. I can't even think of who their lefties are right now. Um, but uh, you know if you need to uh, if you need somebody to come in and get one of those guys out, uh, like Pedro Alvarez, I went totally blanked on who, <laughs> who their lefty was. But um, you know if you need, in those one situations, then you can do that. Um, but really, I you know. I'd lean on LaCure, I'd lean on Hoover, I'd probably even, I'd consider Simon if it's earlier in the game. What about, um, what about Mike Leake? Uh, see, I think I think Mike Leake is your, um, uh-oh, Cueto's hurting again guy. You know, I, otherwise, I just don't, I, I don't see Mike Leake as being useful and unless you need somebody to eat two or three innings because he's I, and he's had a, a great year and I'm not you know knocking on him he's just got that he's got that risk of being a guy that could come in and then give up three runs in an inning especially in a role he's not used to doing so and outside of in fact what I would do what I would do if I was dusty is that first inning I I just start getting him loose you know getting him ready um just in case. you know just in case, you know, if Cueto comes out and, and uh, you know gives up three runs in the first inning, I have I want Leak warm so that if he has to come in in the second inning, he's ready to go. You don't you don't play around. Now I don't know if Dusty's you know creative enough to think that way. I think uh, unfortunately the the down the the upside of Dusty during the season I think is the downside of Dusty during the short series, which is during the season he would want you know Quade to work through it. He wants you know he wants to trust in his guys. During the playoffs, you don't have time for stuff like that. Um, you know, during the playoffs, the first sign of and we saw it with the Giants last year. The first sign of trouble, you pull the guy out there. The first sign of trouble, Zito was out. Tim Linscombe came in. Have Leak ready for that that similar kind of uh, that similar kind of role. And maybe you know maybe Leak can come in and give you four innings and get you to the sixth if Cueto can't get you out of the second or something like that. You mentioned uh, Linscombe coming in for Zito last year, and I remember at the time and ever since. It's one of the reasons why my expectations for this year's team, why Dusty has lowered them, frankly, um, is that I could not imagine at that time that Dusty would ever, under any circumstances, do something as creative as that. Um, even in a game where, uh, you know, a short series where something like that is the, possibly the difference between winning and losing, and it truly might have been last year. Uh, so I, I, think what, I think what you're proposing is a, a good idea. I can't say I'm very optimistic uh, that we'll see anything of that sort. Uh, right, he's, right. He's got to get Cueto through five innings so he can get his playoff win, right? <laughs> I, I, I'll give Dusty enough credit that he would not hold him out for a win. Right. The problem, what I don't, what I don't give him credit for is I don't think that he would. Um, I don't think Dusty looks for this first sign of trouble. I think Dusty looks for the. Uh, the you know he wants his guys to be able to work through it right and you know and get through the struggle 
And, you know, and then, you know, if Cueto gives up three runs, but the Reds never score, then the story of the game is not that Dusty didn't pull Cueto enough. The story of the game is that the offense failed, you know, or something like that. So, and then, you know, that's what always seems to happen. <laughs> let me let me just shift gears for a second. There's something uh, you mentioned a moment ago that made me think to ask you this question, because a lot of people have talked about it. What do you think about this wild card format? I, I think it's fine. I mean, it's... um you know, I hear a lot of people complain that how can you leave after 162 games, how can you leave it down to one game? Well, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago, they, these teams wouldn't even be, wouldn't even have the opportunity. So um, now obviously the four, you know, you know, a couple of years ago, that fourth team um, had a better opportunity, but you know, the games, the game's not meant for teams that are just making it in. I mean, it's it, the playoffs aren't meant for that. So this is like an extra little bonus to these guys. And, you know, so it, like they say, if you don't want to deal with it, win your division. Um, exactly. And that's just, you know. Yeah, I, I, I can't uh, shed any tears for anyone that's complaining about their whole season coming down to this one game. I don't like the wild card, never have since the, they uh, Bud instituted the uh, wild card format. But if you're going to have wild cards, actually, I think this is the best way to go about it. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you're given a real benefit to having won the division. And uh, if you don't like it, if you don't like your whole season coming down to 162 games, win your divi- or coming down to one game after 162 games, win your division. So, right. Um, so the Reds have earned the right to play in this one-game scenario. <laughs> um, let's just assume for a moment, and this is dangerous with this team, but let's presume they can win that game Tuesday. Uh-huh. And they're in the National Division Series against St. Louis. How do you think we match up against these Cardinals? I, I know we've got our demons, and I know that mm-hmm. they've been the monkey on our back for years, just to mix a couple of metaphors there. Um, <laughs> our but, demon monkeys on our back. <laughs> there we go. Actually, we got demon monkeys on our back. Um, and what are your thoughts about a series against St. Louis? I think it'll be fun. I, I, to, be, I to be honest, I mean, I, um, if we might get our butts kicked. Uh, but I think it'll be, I, I think actually the series will be fun. And I think the reason I feel that way is because they played so well against them in that last series of the year that I think the Reds will go in there confident that they know that they can win. And, um, like they're not, they're not afraid of Adam Wainwright. They're not afraid of Lance Lynn, you know? So, I mean, I think that they'll come in confident enough that they'll be able to win. And I think that they've got the pitching. Um, you know, I, it, again, it, this is a case of can Dusty, you know, recognize the patterns and recognize that, well, you know, the, the Cardinals, like I said, don't hit left-handed pitching very well. Well, in that case, in that series, I might actually even take Zach Duke in that series. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, if you've got, if you've got three lefties in that bullpen, uh, not counting Chapman, obviously. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, to give yourself that opportunity to just use one, you know, you legitimately have a chance to just use that one guy to get that one out when you absolutely need it. I, I mean, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? Why wouldn't you try to give yourself as many opp- I mean, I, I know Zach Duke, shaky, blah, blah, blah. Still, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not talking about bringing him in for a whole inning. I'm talking. I mean, he he should legitimately only be used as a loogie if he's on that roster. But I mean, 
you know, then you can start playing. You can start playing matchups in the fifth inning, right. and you know that may win you a game. Well, that, that's a good opportunity to talk about what we, the Reds should do with this postseason roster once they get through uh, the game on Tuesday, which they are. I'm, I'm telling you <laughs> now, they're, they're going to win that game Tuesday. Um, uh, speaking of lefties in the bullpen, if he's healthy, where does Tony Singrani fit into that mix? Because he's had, he's had an awful lot of success this year. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, if Tony Singrani's healthy, then Zach Duke can stay home. Um, I, I, don't, I don't get the impression that Tony Singrani is healthy, though. I don't know. I, I thought I saw or read somewhere that he's he's going to Arizona to stretch out and to kind of get himself loose and all that. So I mean, maybe they're maybe they're thinking about keeping him on the roster um, if they advance. But uh, I mean, if he's healthy, then and if he can give you you know two good innings, now he's somebody I wouldn't use as a loogie. I would bring him in. I bring him in. You know if. If Latos gives you five innings and you know maybe he's not crisp that night, yank him. Even if the Reds are winning, yank him. Put Singrani in there. Let him pitch two innings because I don't think the Cardinals can hit Singrani. Um, and that's no offense to the Cardinals. I just think that Singrani is that type of pitcher that they have. They'll have a hard time with. Well, a lot of teams have had a hard time with Singrani. It would be yeah. a real shame if he weren't available. Especially if you say, "Hey, hey, Tony, you're going to pitch two innings today. Go out and do whatever you need to. You know, go out." And just go all out. Um, right. You know, get that intensity and that energy, and go all out. And he's the one guy on the team that seems to have a little bit of that. It's, uh, he's fun yeah. to watch sometimes. Uh, yep. so, okay, so we get by the game. Cueto, uh, no hits. The Pirates on Tuesday, as I predicted, and <laughs> we're going to Game One against the Cardinals. Uh, if uh, if Latos is healthy, probably got to be Latos, right? Yeah, I would think so, especially in St. Louis. Um, you know, that that seems like the kind of atmosphere that Latos would thrive in. Uh, obviously, you know, in the past, though, I mean, Latos has struggled against the Cardinals, but I think he's pitched pretty well against them this year. So, Yeah, Latos, then Bailey, and then uh, obviously Cueto's the third guy in the rotation, however they work it out. But uh, I think Cueto, I think it would have to be Arroyo. I don't think Cueto, wait, uh, no, Cueto right. no, could come back for game three. Because game three would be on Sunday, so that would be his fifth day. Oh, I actually I didn't count that through. Um, I just I just meant that he's the third guy that's definitely going to start, but uh, he right. could he could potentially go game three. But Arroyo is guaranteed to be the fourth guy. Yeah, yeah, and I um you know you really uh, I mean you can't do it with three without doing short rest. So I I think it's going to be Arroyo. He's just got the experience. I don't think that. Uh, you know, of the two pitchers between Arroyo and Leak, who are essentially, you know, the similar risk in terms of what their stuff can do, um, I think Arroyo at least gets the advantage because he's been he's been in those situations before. And he was brilliant last year in the division series against the Giants. Right, right. What about Bronson? If he gets to pitch in the division series, as I've already predicted that he will, he. Uh, <laughs> He, well, he may not because they may sweep the Cardinals. <laughs> oh, there we go. Now we're talking. That's real optimism there. I like it. Um, we, we, we've seen probably Arroyo's final regular season start for the Reds. Uh, he's probably going to be moving on if, in fact, he has m moved on. Uh, can you just sum up briefly what Bronson, uh, what his legacy is as a Red? He's going to go down as a Hall of Fame, Reds Hall of Famer, isn't he? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's you know, there's no doubt about that in my mind. Um, and he, I, I mean, he should be. It, it shouldn't be any question about it when his day comes up. Um, I he he is one of those interesting pitchers that 
you never felt like was an ace, but you feel like is essential to a good team. And, um, you know, somebody who can come out there and, you know, I hate the phrase innings eater because some, you know, Jimmy Haynes was an innings eater too. But, you know, Bronson was, a, you know, a, um, a, a reliable pitcher uh, and reliable also in the sense that he was going to give you a stinker every once in a while, and you know he'll own up to that. Um, but he was a reliable pitcher, and that he was going to go out there and give you, um, you know, a, at least about league average pitching every fifth day. And you know, I mean, there's nobody who's uh, who's pitched consecutive starts in the way that he has. So um, I think it's just uh, one of those guys that. Uh, it takes you five or six or seven years to really be like, wow, we, you know, it's been great to watch this guy pitch. Now, obviously, after 2011, we all thought, well, get rid of this guy; he's yeah, terrible. He's done. Yeah, yeah, and and I I couldn't believe that. Um, well, obviously, I mean, they had already signed him to the contract, but you know, I, I I couldn't. If you had told me that he would have pitched as well as he has the last two seasons after 2011, I'd be like, whatever. You, what are you smoking? Right. Uh, you know that was a miserable season, uh, but you know he really has. He's had um, what was this? This is seven, is it eighth year with the Reds, and he's had seven. I would consider seven quality seasons. I think that 2011 was the only legitimately bad season he's had. So, and I'll talk about him in a minute. I'm trying to find the button where I can bleep out when you just mentioned Jimmy Haynes. We don't allow, <laughs> don't allow that on the podcast. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, you know. sorry, to, sorry to use such foul language on your <laughs> podcast. That type of language will not be tolerated. It's a family <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, Arroyo, I thought he was done. And he's, I've told everybody uh, he's my favorite red. has been for a while, but just because he's so much fun to watch pitch because the, the arm angles and the changing of speeds. And, but after 2011, I thought at his age, he's, he's probably done. But now after the last couple of years, I'm starting to wonder how long this guy can go. I, you know, they're really – he defies all the uh, – peripheral uh you know the advanced metrics he he defies all those every year and has his whole career basically Mm -hmm. Uh, there's this guy could really pitch for a few more years who knows i mean you just don't know with him right and you know he's kind of like jamie moyer i mean his um you know jamie moyer was uh he just knew how to pitch and the, the the interesting thing for me watching arroyo pitch and and you know being lucky enough to to work with a couple former pitchers um you know it it it's fascinating to me to to see like I mean he like just does stuff that looks like he's improvising you know he's kind of like a, a jazz musician on the mound where he doesn't um, he doesn't do things that are uh, conventional and but he seems so comfortable doing them like he knows exactly what's going to happen when he does this and you know Chris has talked to Chris Welsh has talked a few times this year about Arroyo throwing a sidearm changeup and how he's never seen anybody throw a sidearm changeup but Arroyo just started doing it and and it's worked out for him this year and it's just you know the getting that appreciation for the fact that um I think I think there's too much of an assumption that you know Good pitchers are are kind of born, and they just fall onto the mound and they start pitching. And you know, there's so much touch and feel and learning. Like you know, the different pressures that you put on the ball with your fingertips are going to change the way the ball spins and and give you more break or less break. And the fact that Bronson could throw a hundred, almost a hundred different 
types of pitches in a single game just by varying things every you know ever so little um and the fact that he kind of knows what he's doing when he does that is really just amazing to me and is you know just makes him fun to watch and you know every once in a while he's going to throw a stinker out there but again uh just when he's on he's probably the most fun guy on this staff to watch i think well he encapsulates really why I love baseball. You know, I love the home runs and the strikeouts and all the power things. Uh, but, gosh, watching a guy out there who is thinking through every pitch and, and really playing it like a chess game and changing his arm angles, changing his speeds. You know, that I talked about that playoff game last year when in the division series when he pitched. I think his slowest pitch, if I'm remembering correctly, was 69. His fastest was 90. And he threw at least one pitch at every uh, pitch speed in between during the mm-hmm. game. And it just that, – Things like that just blow my mind. This is a guy that's pitching against the greatest hitters in the world and outthinking them, even if he doesn't have the best uh, stuff necessarily. He just, if if in fact his Reds career is done, I'm I'm gonna miss the old guy. Yeah, and so what I took for, took away from that is your favorite thing about uh, or what you like about baseball is long-haired hippies. Okay, <laughs> hey, that's what I love about life in general, man. <laughs> my my. One of my uh, – this isn't about Bronson Arroyo, but I was talking with um, – again, talking with Chris Welsh. Uh, we were talking about you, Darvish, and the description I said for Darvish is Darvish is Bronson Arroyo with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Right. You know, And so just think of how great Bronson would be if he had a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. And you know, He'd be you, Darvish. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to miss him. He may, he may, the Reds may figure out a way to keep him around. I don't know what's going to happen, but Bronson's probably going to – um, be able to get, I don't know how, how big a contract, but he's he's going to be in demand. He's had two pretty good seasons, and uh, mm-hmm. I'd say that he'll uh, be able to find a spot somewhere um, for a price that he finds uh, to his liking. Yeah, you know, I think that's the hard part for the Reds is that they are going to have to go up against uh, somebody who's going to be probably be willing to give him you know exactly what he's asking for. I think I don't. I think he's realistic to know he's not going to get you know five years or or you know fifteen million a year, but he might be able to get ten to twelve a year for a couple seasons. And I don't know if the Reds are willing to go that high. And and, and for all the Reds fans who uh, are going to get irritated with him because he may price himself out of the Reds market, uh, you know, get over with it. If if you were if, if I was in his situation, looking at my last contract, probably I'm doing the same thing. So good luck to Bronson. I, I wish he'd stick around. I wish he'd be able, they'd be able to keep him. But wherever he goes, he's going to remain. Uh, we're always going to have sort of fond memories of him. Yep. Uh, my fondest memory of Bronson will be after he leaves the Reds when in uh, late October of 2013, he was standing there in Fountain Square and after the parade. <laughs> and, uh, the speech he's going to give is going to be almost as good as Chris Sabo's speech from 1990. Yep. yep. <laughs> Okay. I could I could actually see Joey Votto giving the the Chris Sabo speech. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yes. That's much more fun to imagine. Um, yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the uh, rotation for the playoffs. Let's uh, flip it over to the offensive side of the ledger a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Really, the the one thing everyone wants to ask about, and poor John Fake is the question a thousand times on Twitter. But there, there's really no. I don't think they're going to wear green hats for the playoffs. No, no green hats. Oh, uh, oh, that's not where you were going. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, Dusty's trying to be coy about it, but there's no way that they're going to leave Billy Hamilton off the playoff roster, is there? Uh, I don't think so. I'm, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, he's kind of like a situational reliever. And, you know, I, I famously said on Twitter that I don't think a pinch runner can make a big difference or can be a game changer Oops. over the 
over a month of a season. And, um, you know, I, I actually, even when I said that though, I, I, the, the statement, I would not have made the same statement for the playoffs though. And the reason being that, um, over the course of a month, you need to win 15 or whatever games 12 to 15 games. Um, and, but you can also afford to lose, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 games or whatever. Uh, in the playoffs, you don't have that luxury. So you have to take advantage of every situation that comes to you. And that that may mean at some point the Reds may need to pinch run for even Joey Votto with, with Billy Hamilton. Um, and And so the situations become a little more necessary. Than they would than they would during the regular season. So I don't I don't see how you leave Billy Hamilton off the roster. It's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Somebody who's been with the team, Xavier Paul. Although I think Xavier Paul will be fine. I think somebody like that, Chris Heisey, or um, you know somebody in that 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 group there. I haven't really thought through who that might be, but one of those guys is going to get left off, and Billy Hamilton is going to be on the roster. And the fact is, is that um, it makes sense because having Billy Hamilton sitting in your dugout uh, in the seventh inning of a tie ball game uh, really kind of gives you that extra weapon. It's like having Araldus Chapman out in your bullpen. Yeah, and it's not just anybody that can sort of fill that role that we're talking about, this game-changing uh, late-inning pinch-running pinch specialist, right. really, in a lot of ways. Right. And, and I've been down on Billy Hamilton as much as anybody uh, in terms of uh, the Reds were, I, I think, uh, making the plans to have him the star, as the starting center fielder way too soon. I guess mm-hmm. At this point, uh, there's no chance that's not going to happen, unless they – well, even if they re-sign Chu. They may right. But – I think now there's no way you keep him off off the roster because he can legitimately if he changes one game in the in the playoffs uh, that roster spot is uh, it, well, it's been a great decision and he absolutely right. could do that. Uh, you know Billy Bates right there. Exactly right. Yeah, I, I said I can already see when uh, Billy Hamilton comes up to pinch hit and he gets that to hit like Billy Bates and like in the mm-hmm. old 1990 uh, video we'll have some more Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Where's Where's Paul? <laughs> Where, where's his tourist? <laughs> Where's Xavier Paul? <laughs> um, and then, of course, Ryan Hannigan will play the uh, Joe Oliver role, I'm sure, and mm-hmm. hit, hit a double over the third baseman's head. Corky Miller. Corky oh. Miller did it today. He did. He did. But if Corky Miller's on the postseason roster, I give up. I love you, Corky, <laughs> but I quit. <laughs> um, so, anyway, yeah, I think you got to have Hamilton on the roster. Uh, probably not any other – Real big decisions to make. I don't know that you, you know, is Tourist versus Hanahan, things like that, you know. Yeah. How much is it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think Hanahan might end up being an odd man out because he doesn't play as many positions as his Tourist. Um, you know, I, really, though, between the two of them, I mean, it's kind of a toss-up. Yeah, does it matter? Uh, you, would, you would hope that neither of them would get any at-bats. Um, unfortunately, they are your second-best left-handed bat off the bench uh, after Xavier Paul, who, you know, if Xavier Paul's your best left-handed bat off the bench, he's had a fine season, but, um, you know, I think the bench is kind of weak as part of the problem. Oh, well, and the, but that's been the case for this entire run, these last uh, three or four years where the Reds have been competitive. The bench has always been sort of a liability. And so I, I don't really think it matters necessarily. Now in the bullpen, we've already talked about that a little bit. I think you're playing the Cardinals in that series. You do have to load up on the lefties, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And um, 
you know, like I said, I I would even consider Zach Duke if if Tony Singrani isn't in the bullpen. I would I would consider Zach Duke even just because, I mean the the Cardinals are like I mean it's not just that they're they don't hit lefties as well as they hit righties. They're like one of the bottom two or three teams in the league in hitting left-handed pitching. So when you have that kind of an advantage one way or the other, you really have to try to exploit it whenever you can. And that leaves a guy like Alfredo Simon, I guess, out in the cold probably. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know he's had a fine season, but especially if you if you're going to carry, I mean, if it comes down to Simon versus Leak, um, well, you know maybe Simon is more used to coming out of the bullpen, but you know you don't you don't tend to need long relievers in the playoffs because you don't tend to uh, uh, you don't tend to want to have unless you have an injury like the Reds had in Game One last year, um, you don't tend to want to. Uh, use a reliever for more than a couple innings because the games mean too much. You're not willing to just let a guy float through and give up three or four runs or whatever. You can't afford that in the playoffs. So while Simon would be nice, um, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether or not he deserves to be on the roster. I, I can't see any scenario under which he is on the roster. And I, and I know Dusty Baker doesn't set the uh, playoff roster. Walt Jockley will do that. But I gotta think Dusty will advocate for Mike Leake uh, being on the roster. Uh, you know, just Dusty, sort of the you know reward yeah. guy for what he's given to the team. That's maybe that's maybe I'm just not giving Dusty enough credit, but that's what I. I, well, I think I think I think Leake will definitely be on yeah, Tuesday's roster. Oh, Tuesday, um, definitely, yes. Yeah. Uh, after that, I don't know. I mean, he could be the odd man out. Um, he was last year, so. He was. Of course, he wasn't as good last year as he was this year, but still. Right. Yeah. I just I, given that he's had such a, a good season and he really has been effective for most of the year, I just I'm not sure the Reds will have the stomach to leave him off if that makes any sense. Right. Um, what uh, What are your expectations for this postseason? Pain. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I. Uh, I. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday. I I think they can win. Um, it's just, I you know, it's one game, and I can't like I I've sat and thought about it, and I thought, okay, well, where are their advantages? Where are their disadvantages? And you know, even even if it was, um, even if the Reds had a sixty percent chance of winning, they have a forty percent chance of losing, and both of those in a one game scenario are not. You know they're not different. The odds aren't great enough to differentiate. So um, I don't know. <laughs> my my expect my hopes. Um, obviously, I think. We, uh, hold on, I think we lost you there for just a second. Your hopes are. My hopes are that they'll um, that they'll win on Tuesday. My expectations are, are that uh, you know they they have to get to the NLCS. Um, you know, if they don't get to the NLCS, I I think the season is a disappointment, and I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat that. I agree. I, my my, you you sort of broke that down the exact way I would have. My expectations are, uh, my expectations are zero, frankly, um, for reasons that I've mentioned at uh, uh, Red Leg Nation and that you and I have discussed over the last couple of weeks. But my hopes are that. You know, I, I, well, I wrote a little preview for the Hardball Times, and in it, I, 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 could, I, I couldn't come up with a whole lot of reasons why the Reds shouldn't be contenders 
you know they've got they've got the pieces to be contenders, and so uh-huh. my hopes are that uh, it's a whole new season and that they will uh, they'll go on a big run here. I I don't know. Um, well, I brought the the 2006 Cardinals up to you before, yes, and about how they are um, they kind of backed their way into the playoffs and then all of a sudden got hot and won, and I'm you know I'm kind of hoping that the Reds will do the same thing that it'll be. Uh, an unexpected run, and everybody will think, "Wow, where did these guys, you know, come from?" They were stumbling at the end, and I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that that's what happens. That they can flip that switch. Whether they can, I don't know, but I'm hoping they can. Uh, there you go. Who knows? But please. Uh, <laughs> now, here, here's the here's a, the hundred thousand dollar question. If the you and I talked off the air about this particular question, if the Reds lose on Tuesday. What do you see as being the chance that Dusty Baker remains manager in 2014? And then the second part of that is if they do win on Tuesday but then lose in the division series, you've already said the season will be a uh, a disappointment, but does that change the percentage uh, chance that uh, Dusty's retained as manager in 2014? Um, I would probably put if they lose on Tuesday – uh, I, I think it's at least a 60% chance that he's, that he's fired. And, um, I mean, I don't have, I don't have any real, you know, insight into that. I haven't talked to anybody that's told me anything like that. Um, but I have, I have this sense of just, you know, kind of things that you pick up over time, uh, that, that expectations within the organization are that, um, last year can't happen again that you know we're you know we're not here to just make the playoffs anymore and and so i think that yeah that doesn't mean again 60 percent i think you know it's better than you know better than 50 50 chance that he's fired um i think there's also a decent chance that he is still with the team next year um i personally you know, I don't. I don't hate Dusty as a manager. However, I do wonder whether or not he is the type of manager that can get them over the top. And I've talked with a bunch of people about this lately. He reminds me of when Pete Rose was manager of the Reds. Um, you know, Pete Rose. Uh, Todd Benzinger told us when we were when we were doing the two thousand or the nineteen ninety book in two thousand nine. He told us that. Um, you know, Pete was notorious for coming to guys in late August, early September and saying, do you have all your bonuses? Do you have, you know, are you all set on your contract? Is everything, you know, you in, you in good shape? And, you know, these, again, remember, these were teams that were second place, you know, year after year. And I kind of, you know, I don't know that Dusty's done necessarily that, checking on guys' bonuses, but I kind of get the feeling that he's kind of the same type of manager, that he is worried about keeping his players happy. And while that's not a bad thing to get through the grind of a regular season, um, I think that 1990 team needed Lou Pinella to come in and say, I don't give a crap about any of that. I just want to win. I just want a championship. And, you know, I don't know that Dusty has that fire. And, and I think that teams kind of take on the personality of their manager a little bit. And maybe the, guy, maybe the Reds have some guys in their dugouts that probably have that fire inside them. But when their manager isn't drawing it out of them, which is one of the roles I think is important to a manager, um, when the manager doesn't draw that out of them, then it leaves, you know, it kind of leaves, 
it hidden inside of that player, and maybe the players become a little laid back, not necessarily complacent, but you know, not not able to kind of pull that extra fight out of them that they they need somebody externally to pull out of them. So I think that the reason Dusty's job is at risk is because it may become apparent to the front office that he doesn't have that extra whatever it is to put the team over the top that they've gotten the team to this pinnacle or this plateau of where he can get them to and they need somebody to come in and um, you know add that extra mustard you know to make them champions well I've said a hundred times both on the blog and uh, here on the podcast and people are getting sick of hearing me say it but I, I think and I disagree. Most of the editors at Red Lake Nation disagree with me on this point. I think Dusty is, uh, for a regular season manager, I think he manages the season well. He gets the guys to where the, you know, to the finish line well. But sort of like you said, his voodoo doesn't work in the playoffs. And uh, the things he does well don't uh, are not as big a deal in the playoffs as the things he does poorly. The lineup shenanigans and um, the bunting and giving away outs, all that. Now, to answer the question. And, again, I'm coming at this from the perspective of a guy who is living in his mom's basement. I've got no information, just completely on the outside. If I had to put a percentage, a number on the percentage chance that Dusty Baker's the manager 2014, if they lose on Tuesday, I'd say 70, 75% chance that he is the manager. I just, I'm not sure that, to use the terms that you put it in, I'm not sure that it has become apparent to the front office that Dusty can't get them to the next level. I, I don't have any sense that this team thinks anything other than Dusty's doing a, a good job. And because, you know, they've won 90 games or more three of the last four years. They're in the playoffs again. So um, if – although there, there's some indication, you know, they talked a lot about uh, win now before the season, uh, you know, that they're all in. So so maybe I'm maybe I'm misreading that. There's there's a possibility. Now, I think if they win on Tuesday but lose in the division series, I think it's virtually guaranteed that Dusty's back. Uh, yeah. I I I I don't think the percentage should change. Um I mean, it kind of depends on how they perform too. I mean, obviously the, things could happen in the in the uh, you know, the division series where uh, it looks like they could have won, but ball weird plays happen or whatever. So, you know, saying that they lose doesn't necessarily um, mean that you know it was all the team's fault or whatever. But right. I, I don't think the percentage chance should change if they lose in the in the LDS because I think really um, that's the playoffs. You know, we kind of talked about how you know Tuesday is the postseason, whereas uh, you know. Thursday and starting on Thursday is when the playoffs really start. Yeah, well, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun time. Now, before we finish up here, we have we barely talked about it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this book? I'm a huge fan of this book only because uh, it, most of the books really not very good, but the part where you, you actually mentioned Red Leg Nation, boy, that that was that was a great sentence. I I love that. No, it's a fantastic book and a, a great read and. Uh, uh, Tell us about the experience writing that, if you could. Really well, I was just thinking about how, uh, you know, in, in 30 years, how dated it's going to be to have, you know, Red Reporter and Red Lake Nation and right. OMG Reds all in that in that chapter um, because, you know, oh, people aren't even going to – people aren't even going to read blogs then anymore. They're going to have instant conversations in their skulls or whatever. Right. It'll be very, <laughs> very quaint, yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow. People used to look at web – look at words. 
You can look at words? Yeah. Kids, um, kids will be like, how did that work? Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, you know, it's um, – the title, I think, is a little bit misleading because I think a lot of people attach the word do in there, and uh, there are things to do, um, but really it's more like a history book and, and fan, you know, travel guide for a fan, I guess. You know, not necessarily a travel guide as in, like, you know, go to this place or go to that place, although there is some stuff in there about that, but just like, okay, you know, you're new to being a Reds fan or maybe you're, um, you know, You've been a Reds fan, but you've never really gotten deep into it. Well, this is a good book for you to read that'll give you the chance to kind of learn about some of the history, um, you know, learn about things that Reds fans, you know, events that Reds fans consider to be, you know, must do kind of events. Uh, things that, um, you know, at least from my perspective, I, I, I don't feel like I left anything major out in terms of the kind of stuff that fans should do. Um, but then it's also a good way to learn, uh, uh, you know, and it's like an encyclopedia of. Of um, some of the players and some of the big events and moments in Reds history that, you know, if you've only been a fan or, you know, if you're a 20 year old and you don't know much about uh, the 1940 Reds or you don't know much about the, um, even about the big red machine maybe, but you don't really have time to read a whole bit, a whole book about the 1940 Reds or a whole book about the big red machine. This will give you a chance to get some overview about those teams and some of the great moments for those teams. Yeah, you know, I read it and and I've obviously been a Reds fan my entire life and absolutely enjoyed it. It's, it's a great read. But I, the whole time I was reading, I was thinking, boy, this is a great book to give to somebody that's just starting out. You know, uh, they give me a hard time all the time when I talk about soccer. And I'm going to talk about soccer because uh, that's <laughs> what I do. But um, the last uh, three or four years, I've really gotten into uh, soccer, English Premier League primarily. Um, and the whole time I was reading this book, I was thinking, man, I wish that when I start first started liking soccer, there was a book like this about the team that I follow uh, in the Premier League, Tottenham Hotspur. By the way, that's that's the only team to follow in the Premier League. <laughs> um, come on, you Spurs! But I thought, boy, it'd be great to have something like this. Just a, you know, it gives you a sense of the entire history of this really a storied franchise, but distills it down uh, into readable, sort of bite-sized readable, um, uh, you know, chapters, and it's really a. Uh, it's great not only for guys like me because I, I did enjoy it, but you're right. I think it's a perfect book to give to the uh, the new Reds fan to uh, sort of indoctrinate them into this cult that we call Reds fandom. <laughs> well, and it's you know it's good. I like it because it's kind of a book that you can pick up and read and put down and pick up and read. You know, another day. Um, you know, Jim Kelch told me uh, just a couple of days ago he's been basically reading it all summer. And he's only up to he's only up to number ninety two. So it's not something you know. You can you can read you know. Say you don't like to read nonfiction. You you're a big you like to read fiction and you read it vociferously or whatever is that a word anyway. But you read it a lot and then. Um, but this is like something you can pick up. Uh, you know, I joke that it's a bathroom reader. Basically, you can. Uh, it takes you about a long. You know, the uh, one of the items takes you about as long as you know you're going to spend your time in the bathroom. So it would be a good opportunity for you to just kind of pick it up and read a little bit and learn a little bit about Dave Concepcion or learn, learn a little bit about Veda Pinson or somebody like that. So, but because really, don't we all want to think about Veda Pinson when we're in the bathroom? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
You should think. I don't think Reds fans think about Veda Pinson enough, frankly. Well, that, so that's actually a true, a true story, and that's something we really need to discuss at some other time because that's uh, he's one of the more underrated uh, Reds in history. Probably the greatest center fielder in Reds history. So there, I said it. There you go, and, and people do not realize that. You're right. Yep. Well, Joel, this, we've sort of about beat this thing to death. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this may have lasted longer than the actual uh, wild card game is going to last. <laughs> it may be longer than the entire Reds postseason experience of 2013. <laughs> oh, no, no, we don't want to say that. No, I've, we're, we're getting a no-hitter on, uh, on Tuesday and then moving right on uh, the road to a world championship and another book opportunity for Joel Luckup. That's what I'm predicting. I hope so. All right. Well, you know, here's here's my dated reference of the day because I'm outstanding with dated references. Um, 1983, the NBA playoffs getting ready to begin. Moses Malone of the Philadelphia 76ers. They said, what do you all need to do to, to get through this playoff uh, the, uh, and win a championship? And he looks at the camera and says, foe, foe, foe. Got to win four games, followed by four more games, followed by four more games. And that's absolutely what the Reds need to do. Now, the four games to start with are going to be, include the playoff, the wild card and the division series. Mm-hmm. Listen, this team can do it, can't they? Yeah, yeah. You only have, you have to win 12 before uh, your opponents. No, that doesn't quite work. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, 444. There you go. Well, Joel, I really do appreciate you joining us uh, today. I hope you will become a regular guest here at the podcast. Can I count on you for that? Anytime, anytime. You can always holler. I'll be on here. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Well, again, this is uh, Joel Luckup joining us. You can find him on Twitter at, and I'm going to have to spell this out because uh, just saying it, especially the way I talk, uh, (laughs) no one's going to understand it. Uh, uh, And and make make sure I get this right, at J-L-U-C-K-H-A-U-P-T. Exactly. Right. Yes. Follow Joel on Twitter for all sorts of things. You can follow me on Twitter at Dotson C, but I don't know why you would. Um, and follow Red Leg Nation at Red Leg Nation on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or there's an RS you can subscribe to at the Red Leg Nation radio page at RedLegNation.com. And I don't know why you downloaded this podcast this week. You got lots of other things you could have done with your time, but I do appreciate it. For Joel Luckup, this is Chad Dotson saying. So long.